want to thank everybody here today who is not running for mayor. I'm not going to change my name. My name to some people will be a negative. To some people, I think it may be a positive. I'm the chair of the party. That's a that's a gender neutral term. Not not chairman. You chair. I'm chair. the chair of the party. I got super nervous. I mean, I've never done this before. That's right, friends. Election Day is almost here. And what a wild ride it has been. The crowded race for Chicago mayor includes everyone from novices to experienced politicians and even a daily in the mix. People are lining up behind their chosen candidate. Nobody wants to vote for who should be mayor. Everybody wants to vote for who could be mayor. I think that the label progressive gets put out a lot. Uh, Mar is the real deal. Bill Daly is going to give her a run for her money. Tony Taxwinkle. There's been tons of talk of ending corruption. If you think the city council is going to is going to cut off its own power, we're all sadly mistaken. You're not going to see me pledge something that I'm not positive that I can do because I'm just not a liar. Tony Taxwinkle took money from uh, Ed Burke, just not paying it back. We need to make sure that there is a clean sweep of the corrupt machine and the typical way of doing of doing things. And, of course, there are the big issues. This election has and must be about public safety. There's a lot of small businesses in our city who are struggling, and they're not getting many tax breaks. Imagine a city where the mayor actually used her power to advocate on behalf of workers. But I've looked at the allocation of those funds. You have no idea what transparency is. I'm going to be on the ballot. She knows it. I know it, and Chicagoans will have a choice of who their next mayor should be, and I hope that there's another four women who will also be on that ballot that they can choose from. While it won't likely be over next week, at least we won't have the dizzying task of keeping up with 14 candidates for mayor. Hi, everybody. This is On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. This week, we're going to answer your last-minute questions and tell you about a very serious voter. Joining me in studio are WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos and Claudia Morell. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it's almost over? Finally. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Not quite over, though. Um, random question. Do either of you have a fun Election Day ritual? Nothing particular. I just have learned over the years that people will call you, your sources, all day long that horrible acts of voter fraud are being perpetrated in one part of town or another. And while that may be true in some cases, in most cases that we are alerted to, it is not the case. And so I try to tune everyone out during the day because you need to save your energy for what could be a long evening and maybe even days ahead of work uh, with a recounter or a close race. At my former job on Election Day, we would divide up the city and go to as many precincts as we could in the morning. Uh, They open up at 6 a.m., just to see which candidates are outside. It's actually one of the best times to uh, see the candidates because they will be outside uh, and to see, you know, um, you know how turnout is. Back in the golden days of newspapers where uh, money flowed in rivers and the Internet had not destroyed uh, classified advertising yet, <laughs> I would go to the Intercontinental <laughs> Hotel on the dime of my employer have a swim in their magnificent pool. It looks like Cursed Castle. At the Tribune? Yeah. Then I'd go, yeah, well, I'd sleep there for like two hours before I'd have to go back to work again. Okay, well, let's get right into it. This week on social media, we asked our listeners and our followers to tweet us their burning questions. And the first one we're going to start with comes from at P. Combs. 
make the argument why an alderman should retain aldermanic prerogative for their ward. Shouldn't an alderman get the last word as to what developments get approval? Or is it too much power for one alderman, only inviting potential corruption? Claudia, I'm going to give this one quickly to you for one sentence of what exactly is aldermanic prerogative? Aldermanic prerogative is an unwritten rule that gives aldermen the ability to rezone any lot in their ward to whatever zoning designation they want or to prevent someone from rezoning said lot uh, for ideological reasons or because they want to control what's built there. Okay. Claudia, I'm going to have you make an argument for candidates who want to keep it. And Dan, you will get a chance to make an argument for candidates who want to get rid of it. So who wants to go first? Well, I think I made an eight-part argument against it in a 2008 series in the Chicago Tribune when I worked there, which apparently was not heated because we still have aldermanic prerogative. We did not reform the city successfully that time. But the, the basic argument was this. You give all this power to these aldermen. And what do you end up with when you have a building boom? You have a little worker's cottage from the 1880s next to a six-flat filled with uh, former frat boys uh, throwing beer bottles off the, uh, the window. I mean, it just doesn't fit in. And the whole purpose of zoning is to have some sort of planning, some sort of predictability in the sense of, you know, you can't have a slaughterhouse in the middle of a residential neighborhood. But if you pay the alderman enough, possibly, in terms of campaign contributions, which are legal, then maybe you can have a slaughterhouse in a residential area or a six flat next to a little cottage. And it's just crazy. And of course, one other point, we've seen a lot of corruption in this system. You give absolute power to the alderman over what their ward will look like, and the developers will buy them off. And it's happened again and again and again. And I'm not just saying that because I'm cynical. It's a matter of public record and court record in federal court. All right, Claudia, (laughs) defend aldermanic prerogative. Well, if I'm an alderman, I have been elected to the Chicago City Council by the somewhat 58,000 residents in my ward who elected me to be the alderman and ultimate decider of what gets built in the neighborhoods. And therefore, I should have that control over what is built, where the school is going to be, where the hospital is going to be, if I want a play lot or if I want a giant skyscraper. And I don't think that the mayor or anyone else on the city council should tell me what to do when it is my ward. I know it like the back of my hand and know what's best for my neighborhood. I want to make a point that this is also an unwritten rule. How would somebody go about getting rid of an unwritten practice? You can change the rules in the sense that when a project goes through zoning committee, it essentially is put on agenda like any kind of legislation is put on agenda for a meeting. And in zoning committee, it can be deferred indefinitely. And so the mayor introduced a plan that says we're only going to give you six months to defer. And after those six months, zoning committee has to vote on the project. And so it helps developers, especially international ones or ones that are coming from L.A. or New York that are flying into these zoning committees. And they're like, what the hell? Like, this was on the agenda. Why is the alderman still delaying it? So it kind of puts it it takes it out of their control and puts it to the full committee. Look, uh, there are times when aldermanic prerogative has not ruled the day. Uh, The one I remember most was about 10 years ago. The Children's Museum, remember, wanted to move from here on Navy Pier over to uh, Millennium Park, and the aldermen didn't want it. The people around Millennium Park didn't want it. 
and they ran a rough shot over Brendan Riley, who's the alderman there, because Mayor Daley said, you know, we should do this. Uh, that's what he wanted to do. So there are times that uh, aldermen have uh, not treated each other with the same courtesy that they do in 99.9% of the cases. So, you know, what you put on paper and what the reality is can be two very different things. All right. Well, moving on, we're going to go to the next question. At Perchboy1 wants to know who has the best plan to deal with pensions? We can't really say who has the best plan, um, but we can dig into this a little bit more and talk about who has a plan, who has a detailed plan, who doesn't. Uh, Claudia, first set us up. How big is the city's pension problem? The city's pension problem is one that's growing by the day, and it is going to hit the city really hard in about two years. So the next mayor who comes will have a little bit bigger of a pension payment to make uh, next year, but it's really the following two years where... um, Shit hits the fan, and when state law kicks in and the city is going to have to start paying towards the pension funds to get them to 90% funded. How much money are we talking about? Um, well, right now we already pay over a billion dollars in pensions, so, you know, you, you'll you be seeing like a billion five in the upcoming years. Out of right. a city budget it. that's, what, yeah. eight or nine billion? Yeah. yeah, it's a huge yeah. chunk of the budget. So give us a quick rundown of what the candidates want to do. Dan? Well, most of them uh, are not really answering the question. And that was the same thing in 2011, the last time we had an open seat on the fifth floor of City Hall in the mayor's office. You know, Rahm Emanuel uh, was intimating and saying behind the scenes that they're going to uh, cut pension benefits for city employees uh, because they just can't afford it anymore. But he didn't really want to say it publicly until he got elected. Of course, that's what he tried to do and and did to some extent. But what you run up against is the Illinois Constitution, which says you cannot diminish the benefit that has been promised already to a public employee. And so you would have to change the Constitution. Only one candidate has said that they would change the Constitution to do that. And that is Bill Daly, ironically, whose you know brother, uh, and I say ironically, his <laughs> brother kicked a can down the road mm-hmm. for many years, made the problem worse, didn't make the payments that that the city was supposed to be making for a long time, and just kept you know hiring more people under these terms that uh, they're going to find uh, almost impossible to uh, comply with it, impossible to keep these promises without really raising taxes and coming up with revenue in, in amounts that are, are enormous, as Claudia pointed out. And yeah, one of the big issues uh, of why it got so bad is that the city was keeping taxes artificially low. I mean, you don't get reelected to mayor that many times without keeping taxes low. And then what did they do when he needed to plug uh, some budgets? He sold uh, city assets like the Skyway and the parking meters. And for the pensions, any of the candidates who say that they will not increase property taxes or any kind of taxes on the working class of Chicago is living in their own delusional world because there is a revenue problem in Chicago. And I think the only candidate that I've seen that has actually detailed a plan is Paul Vallis. And that's just because every plan he details is a 20-page white paper. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's practical. I mean, it, the first yeah. thing that you, you hear uh, is from uh, the public employees or unions, the municipal uh, workers group, is that uh, that plan is not you know going to work for them either. Okay. Next question. This is from at Anna Luz Carvlin. I hope I said that right. 
She wants to know, why was that one guy allowed to give Daly over $2 million in campaign contributions? This is reference to Daly getting $2 million from billionaire Ken Griffin. He's one of the richest people in Illinois and in America. Dan, you want to tackle this one? So there are laws, you know, the state campaign finance laws say that um, there is a limit to how much someone can give to a candidate. And it's not nearly $2 million, but the caps that are there get blown if any one candidate spends $100,000 or more on their own campaign. Willie Wilson, who's a rich businessman running for mayor again uh, this year, did that. And because he did that, now everyone else can spend as much as they want or receive as much as they want. But it's all relative. You know, $2 million to Ken Griffin is not as like, you know, change in in between the uh, uh pillows of his um, <laughs> of, his. of his couch you know he th- you're talking about a guy who uh, broke the record for the most expensive apartment uh purchase ever just a short time ago in in New York City so 2 million there uh he's also given many millions as we know to Bruce Rauner and I think Rahm Emanuel too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so B- Bill Daly is the 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 candidate of Ken Griffin and the most moneyed mm-hmm. people in- we we did have a very expensive governor's race how much has been raised so far here in this mayor's race? Well, again, this is a pittance compared to that. Didn't uh, JB spend, I think, $171 million of his own money, the new governor, Pritzker. uh, And uh, the total, I think, in this race so far has been about $28 million, which is less than Rahm Emanuel raised and spent to get reelected four years ago. He was somewhere in the $30 million range. So again, all relative. Yeah, and that's not counting the outside money that's pouring in from super PACs and independent expenditures that are going pretty hard in the wards. All right. Next question, and this one's a pretty good one. Um, It's just a logistical one. At D.H. Shimomura would love a brief explanation of the runoff, how it works, how it started, and what to look for. Um, Someone on our staff also asked, what happens after February 26th? Claudia? Um, So Chicago has had the runoff system since the 90s. I want to say it was 1995, and that was due to a change in state law. Before that, we had um, partisan primaries. So Mm -hmm. there was a Democratic ballot and a Republican ballot. Uh, And when they did away with that, they decided to use a system that uh, was already in place for the aldermanic candidates. And so essentially at the general election uh, next Tuesday, a candidate needs to get a majority. So 50 percent plus one. And if you don't, then it is the top two vote getters that end up in the runoff. But uh, Jim Allen, the Chicago Board of Elections spokesman, told me that when he was looking back at the law, that there is um, a chance. I mean, and this would be like the odds would be like one in a million where if number two and number three got identical votes, there technically could be three candidates in the runoff, but they would have to have the exact same number of ballots cast. Exact same number of ballots, not necessarily percentage. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's super interesting. All right. Finally, at by Lauren Fitz, who's an old friend from the Education Beat at the Sun-Times, she wants to know what kind of side deals have the candidates made among themselves. Dan, you want to take this one? Oh, Fitz, so, so cynical, <laughs> so conspiratorial-minded. I love it. But, yeah, we have seen these sorts of 
things done in the past. Uh, usually, uh, we don't know about them before uh, this uh, first uh, round of voting. But what you'll see in a lot of wards and what you'll see in mayoral races, uh, well, at least the one time that we had a runoff four years ago, is that people that uh, end up third, fourth, down the line will be looking to give their support to someone. And so you will have a scenario of somebody who is talking a lot of smack, their sworn mortal enemies, then standing up and saying, I'm endorsing this person in the runoff. <laughs> Example, four years ago, Bob Fioretti, who former alderman did very poorly uh, in running for mayor. Uh, last time, I think he was in the single digits. So what happened? Uh, he said that he was running against Rahm Emanuel because Rahm Emanuel was such a horrible mayor. He ended up endorsing Rahm Emanuel. And Rahm Emanuel had a fundraiser uh, where he helped Bob Fioretti retire his campaign debt so that people could get paid. You're going to see somebody looking to uh, shop around uh, there. And I don't put a lot of stock in it, to be honest. All due respect, Fitz, I just, you know, are the people who voted for that person in the first round, he's eliminated or she's eliminated now, and you're going to listen to him or her about who you're going to vote for in the runoff? I'm not sure it works that way. You know, I don't think it's just a block of voters that you can give, but it, you know, it never hurt someone. So, you know, maybe if they could, you know, uh, make a deal with you, they might. Well, and there's always the chance that voters for that candidate who loses doesn't like the person that that candidate then goes off and endorses and then they just stay home in April. Right. Sure. I, I mean, mean, that's a that's a, a very real possibility. Again, look at Bob Fioretti. He said that he was against. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, and then he went and endorsed Rahm Emanuel. So who is that person? Is that the person that you thought you were voting for? Right, right. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. This election season has been a long one, and the candidates have logged many, many hours at mayoral forums, telling voters all about their views on everything from pensions to preschool. WBEZ's Linda Lutton met someone who's been really listening. In fact, he may be one of the city's most dedicated voters at this point. Well, my name is Ronald Jackson. Um, I have attended now, this will be my 32nd uh, mayoral uh, forum. Yes, Ronald Jackson has been to 32 mayoral forums. The one I met him at was his fifth forum of the week, his third in 36 hours. I have um, done this because I believe that it is important that interest from the community is shown. We can't keep complaining if we don't do anything, he says. This is a historic election, and Ronald Jackson is making the absolute most of it. The uh, city of Chicago has the advantage right now of making a, a large, I mean, humongous change. Meet a man completely caught up in Chicago's moment of democracy. Jackson has a strategy at these forums. I try my best to uh, sit as close to the front as possible to make sure that the candidates that are sitting on the platform can look down and notice that somebody is looking up at them. Jackson, who says he's at least 55, definitely stands out. So today uh, we are basically uh, dressed in uh, the uh, black and gold. Black and gold sneakers, black and gold fur coat with a lapel pin of the Chicago flag, black wraparound sunglasses, walking stick, 
used by elders in the African-American community, and black leather cowboy hat. It has the uh, gold band on it, okay, uh, which is actually my signature uh, cap. I am also a spokesperson for mental health movement. Um, you know, I truly believe in um, the uh, causes of uh, people that are challenged in life. If Jackson is pushing for any issue, it's this one. Mental health needs more attention in this city and more resources, he says. But even that seems to take a back seat to just democracy. 14 candidates, an open seat, no anointed winner, and a citizenry that gets to choose. It's not only Jackson's flashy outfits that make him recognizable. I created my own little paddle. It's about the size of a ping pong paddle. Red on one side, lime green on the other, you know. I raise it uh, high. I make sure that, that they see it on the uh, podium. Candidates get green if he likes what they say, red if he doesn't. Any negativity, any talk about another candidate is always red. Jackson also raises his paddle for the questions. Anytime mental health issues are brought up, it's green. One more thing. I do not endorse, nor do I shake the hand of any candidate. We've been standing outside the auditorium where this forum will take place when candidate Paul Vallis walks in just a few feet away. How are you? Hey, I'm okay. Uh, do you know this gentleman? I mean, other than the forums, I see him at the forums. A Vallis campaign staffer points to the paddle. He has that, he says. And what he does is he... He elevates it. The green is he agrees with the candidate, right, the and the is red he opposes is. it. Yeah. And he usually, being one of the taller people at the at the forums, he like the Statue of Liberty. You can see it. He, he raises it pretty high. I think I've gotten one or two red ones. Jackson <laughs> seems very pleased that the Vallis team knows him. He recognizes the paddle. He says he never intended to go to this many forums. Matter of fact, after the first three, I remember saying, you know, this wasn't even uh, worth uh, listening to because it was basically uh, redundant. But then a friend told him she wasn't sure who to vote for, and she couldn't make it to the forums. Since then, Jackson has been on this mission. At every forum, in addition to the paddle, he holds up his cell phone so he can live stream for friends on social media. Each forum gets about 30 views. I know you're wondering, after 32 forums, who is Ronald Jackson voting for? Hey, if he knew that, why would he keep going to the forums? I will stay undecided until the hour or the, the very minute that I step in that boat. On the way to the poll, which is a block away from my home, I will take into account of everything that I have heard. Which is a whole lot. Nobody will be able to say he didn't take his job as a citizen very seriously. Linda Lutton, WBEZ News. That's all for today. Election Day is next Tuesday. Before you vote, let WBEZ help you vote smart at WBEZ.org. You can find our crib sheet to get the skinny on all the races, find our candidate questionnaire to see where they stand on big issues, and how that compares to your views. And also find how often your alderman actually showed up to work at City Hall during this last term. Happy voting, everyone.
Reporting for this episode comes from Linda Lutton, Dan Mihalopoulos, Claudia Morell, and me, Becky Vivi. Our editors are Kate Cahan and Alex Keefe. Our producer is James Edwards. You can rate, review, subscribe, and download the On Background podcast in Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM. when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.